The advent of Lord Krishna. Once the world was overburdened by the unnecessary defense force of different kings who were actually demons, but who were posing themselves as the royal order. At that time, the whole world became perturbed, and the predominating deity of the earth, known as Bhumi, went to see Lord Brahma to tell of her calamities due to the Dwamiak kings. Bhumi assumed the shape of a cow and presented herself before Lord Brahma with tears in her eyes. She was bereaved and was weeping just to invoke the Lord's compassion. She related the calamitous position of the earth and after hearing this, Lord Brahma became much aggrieved, and he at once started for the ocean of milk where Lord Vishnu resides. Lord Brahma was accompanied by all the demigods headed by Lord Shiva, and Bhumi also followed. Arriving on the shore of the milk ocean, Lord Brahma began to pacify Lord Vishnu, who had formerly saved the earth planet by assuming the transcendental form of a boar. In the Vedic mantras, there is a particular type of prayer called Purusha Sukta. Generally, the demigods offer their obeisances unto Vishnu, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, by chanting the Purusha Sukta. It is understood herein that the predominating deity of every planet can see the Supreme Lord of this universe, Brahma, whenever there is some disturbance on his planet. And Brahma can approach the Supreme Lord Vishnu not by seeing him directly, but by standing on the shore of the ocean of milk. There is a planet within this universe called Shvetadvipa, and on that planet there is an ocean of milk. It is understood from various Vedic literatures that just as there is an ocean of salt water on this planet, there are various kinds of oceans on other planets. Somewhere there is an ocean of milk, somewhere there is an ocean of oil, and somewhere there are oceans of liquor, and of many other types of liquids. The Purusha Sukta is the standard prayer which the demigods recite to appease the Supreme Personality of God at Shirdakshai Vishnu. Because he is lying on the ocean of milk, he is called Shirdakshai Vishnu. He is the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead through whom all the incarnations within this universe appear. After all, the demigods offered the Purusha Sukta prayer to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, they apparently heard no response. Then Lord Brahma personally sat in meditation, and there was a message transmission from Lord Vishnu to Brahma. Brahma then broadcast the message to the demigods. That is the system of receiving, receiving Vedic knowledge. The Vedic knowledge is received first by Brahma from the Supreme Personality of Godhead through the medium of the heart. As stated in the beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam, Taini Brahma Rida Ya Adi The transcendental knowledge of the Vedas was transmitted to Lord Brahma through the heart. Here also in the same way, only Brahma could understand the message transmitted by Lord Vishnu and he broadcast it to the demigods for their immediate action. The message was this. The Supreme Personality of Godhead would appear on the earth very soon along with his supreme powerful potencies. And as long as he remained 
on the earth planet to execute his mission of annihilating the demons and establishing the devotees, the demigods should also remain there to assist him. They should all immediately take birth in the family of the Yadda dynasty wherein the Lord would also appear in due course of time. The Supreme Personality of God and Himself, Krishna, would personally appear as the son of Vasudev. Before His appearance, all the demigods, along with their wives, should appear in different pious families in the world just to assist the Lord in executing His mission. The exact word used here is tatriyartam, which means the demigods should appear on the earth in order to please the Lord. In other words, any living entity who lives only to satisfy the Lord as a demigod. The demigods were further informed that Ananta, the plenary portion of Lord Krishna, who is maintaining the universal planets by extending his millions of hoods, would also appear on earth before Lord Krishna's appearance. They were also informed that Vishnu's external potency, Maya, with whom all the conditioned souls are enamored, would also appear by the order of the Supreme Lord just to execute his purpose. <clears throat> After instructing and pacifying all the demigods, as well as Bhumi, with sweet words, Lord Brahma, the father of all prajapatis, or progenitors of the universal population, departed for his own abode, the highest material planet called Brahmaloka. The leader of the Yadu dynasty, King Shurasena, was ruling over the country known as Mathura, wherein, wherein lies the city of Mathura, as well as the district known as Shurasena, which was named after him. On account of the rule of King Shurasena, Mathura became the capital city of all the kings of the Yadus. Mathura was also made the capital of the kings of the Yadu dynasty because the Yadus were a very pious family and knew that Mathura is the place where Lord Sri Krishna lives eternally, just as he also lives in Dwarka. Once upon a time, Vasudev, the son of Shurasena, just after marrying Devaki, was going home on his chariot with his newly wedded wife. The father of Devaki, known as Devaka, had contributed a lavish dowry because he was very affectionate towards his daughter. He had contributed hundreds of chariots completely decorated with gold equipment. At that time, Kansa, the son of Ugrasena, in order to please his sister Devaki, had voluntarily taken the reins of the horses of Vasudev's chariot and was driving. According to the custom of the Vedic civilization, when a girl is married, the brother takes the sister and brother-in-law to their home. Because the newly married girl may feel too much separation from, his father, from, from her father's family, the brother goes with her until she reaches her father-in-law's house. The full dowry contributed to, to Devaka by Devaka was as follows. 400 elephants fully decorated with golden garlands, 15,000 decorated horses, and 1,800 chariots. He also arranged for 200 beautiful girls to follow his daughter. The Chatya system of marriage, still current in India, 
dictates that when a chapter is married, a few dozen of the bride's young girlfriends, in addition to the bride, go to the house of the king. The followers of the queen are called maidservants, but actually they act as friends of the queen. This practice is prevalent from time immemorial, traceable at least to the time before the advent of Lord Krishna, 5,000 years ago. So Vasudev brought home another 200 beautiful girls, along with his wife, Devaki. <clears throat> While the bride and bridegroom were passing along on the chariot, there were different kinds of musical instruments playing to indicate the auspicious moment. There were conch shells, bugles, drums, and kettle drums. Combined together, they were vibrating a nice concert. The procession was passing very pleasingly, and Kamsa was driving the chariot, when suddenly there was a miraculous sound vibrated from the sky, which especially announced to Kamsa, Kamsa, you are such a fool, you are driving the chariot of your sister and your brother-in-law, but you do not know that the eighth child of this sister will kill you. Kamsa, it was the son of Ugrasena, of the Boja dynasty. It is said that Kamsa was the most demoniac of all the Boja dynasty kings. Immediately after hearing the prophecy from the sky, he caught hold of Deviki's hair and was just about to kill her with his sword. Vasudeva was astonished at Kamsa's behavior, and in order to pacify the cruel, shameless brother-in-law, he began to speak as follows, with great reason and evidence. He said, My dear brother-in-law Kamsa, you are the most famous king of the Bodhya dynasty, and people know that you are the greatest warrior and a valiant king. How is it that you are so infuriated, infuriated, infuriated that you are prepared to kill a woman who is your own sister? at this auspicious time of her marriage. Now we have a me excuse me, just one second. We have a message from Rati, and she usually has something to say. Uh, my dear Guru Maharaj, please accept our humble obeisances to Aishila Prabhupada. Glories to Vaisheshika Prabhu, glories to Govardhan Hill, Haribo. So, uh, so nice to see you together again in your beloved residence, Govardhan Hill. Um, near Govardhan, on top of Govardhan, as I just heard. So uh, I wish you all happiness and auspiciousness for the month of Kartik for your... Sorry, I thought she was going to say something. Because she's always making comments about well, the sound. Say. Maybe? Reading Vrat. Uh, it's uh, going to be very hard to keep that up five hours a day, but I'll do my best to hear as much as I can. Um, I just wanted to update you from my side. I'm on my way to another Kirtan Hi. event in the countryside. Thank you, Rati. Thank you for checking in. I thought you had something to say about the sound because, you know, anyway, it's okay. Please forgive the, in the intermission. Vasudeva was astonished at Kamsa's behavior. And in order to pacify the cruel, shameless brother-in-law, he began to speak as follows, with great reason 
and evidence. He said, My dear brethren of Kamsa, you are the most famous king of the Bodhi dynasty, and people know that you are the greatest warrior and valiant king. How is it that you are so infuriated that you are prepared to kill a woman who is your own sister at this auspicious time of her marriage? <clears throat> Why should you be so afraid of death? Death is already born along with your birth. From the very day you took your birth, you began to die. Suppose you were 25, suppose you were 25 years old. That means that, that means you have already died 25 years. Every moment, every second, you are dying. Why then should you be so much afraid of death? Final death is inevitable. You may die either today or in a hundred years. You cannot avoid death. Why should you be so much afraid? Actually, death means annihilation of the present body. As soon as the present body stops functioning and mixes with the five elements of material nature, the living entity within the body accepts another body according to his present actions and reactions. It is just like when a man walks on the street. He puts forward his foot, and when he is confident that his foot is situated on sound ground, he lifts the other foot. In this way, one after another, the bodies change and the soul transmigrates. See how the plant worms change from one twig to another so carefully. Similarly, the living entity changes his body as soon as the higher authorities decide on his next body. As long as the living entity is conditioned within this material world, he must take material bodies one after another. His next particular body is offered by the laws of nature according to the actions and reactions of this life. This body is exactly like one of the bodies which we always see in dreams. During our dream of sleep, we create so many bodies according to mental creation. We have seen gold and we have also seen a mountain. So in a dream, we can see a golden mountain by combining the two ideas. Sometimes in dreams, we see that we have a body which is flying in the sky. And at the same time, we completely forget our present body. Similarly, these bodies are changing. When you have one body, you forget the past body. During a dream, we may, during a dream, we may make contact with so many new kinds of bodies, but when we are awake, we forget them all. And actually, these material bodies are the creations of our mental activities. But at the present moment, we do not recollect our past bodies. The nature of the mind is flickering. Sometimes, it's a, sometimes it accepts something, and immediately it rejects the same thing. Accepting and rejecting is the process of the mind in contact with the five objects of sense gratification. Form, taste, smell, sound, and touch. In its speculative way, the mind comes in touch with the object of sense gratification. And when the living entity desires a particular type of body, he gets it. Therefore, the body is an offering by the laws of material nature. The living entity accepts the body and comes out again 
into the material world to enjoy or suffer according to the construction of the body. Unless we have a particular type of body, we cannot enjoy or suffer according to our mental proclivities inherited from the previous life. The particular type of body is actually offered to us according to our mental condition at the time of death. A lot of popping going on with this. There must be a screen or something like that we used last time. You hear the popping? Oh, what happened was we had the head mic for you too. So then the audience would only speak a short time. No, no, but I'm saying <coughs> this is picking up a lot of pops. You'll see, listen, it's pip, 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 pip. The living, the luminous planets like the sun, moon, and, or stars reflect themselves in different types of reservoirs like water, oil, or ghee. The reflection moves according to the movements of the reservoir. The reflection of the moon is on the water, and the moving water makes the moon also appear to be moving, but actually the moon is not moving. Similarly, by mental concoction, the living entity attains different kinds of bodies, although actually he has no connection with such bodies. But on account of illusion, being enchanted by the influence of Maya, the living entity thinks that he belongs to a particular type of body. That is the way of conditioned life. Suppose a living entity is now in a human form of body. He thinks that he belongs to the human community or a particular country or particular place. He identifies himself in that way and unnecessarily prepares for another body which is not required by him. Such desires and mental concoctions are the cause of different types of bodies. The covering influence of material nature is so strong that the living entity is satisfied in whatever body he gets and he identifies with that body with great pleasure. Therefore, I beg to request you not to be overwhelmed by the dictation of your mind and body. Vasudev thus requested Kamsa not to be envious of his newly married sister. One should not be envious of anyone because envy is the cause of fear both in this world and in the next, when one is before Yamaraj, the lord of punishment after death. Vasudev appealed to Kamsa on behalf of Devaki, stating that she was his younger sister he also appealed at an auspicious moment, at the time of marriage. A younger sister or brother is supposed to be protected by one's child. A younger sister or brother is supposed to be protected as one's child. The position is overall so delicate, Vasudev reasoned, that if you kill her, it will go against your high reputation. In this way, Vasudev tried to pacify Kamsa by good instruction as well as by philosophical discrimination. But Kamsa was not to be pacified because his association was demonic, demoniac. Because of his demoniac association, he was a demon, although born in a very high royal family. Mm. A demon never cares for any good instruction. He is just like a determined thief. One can give him moral instruction, but it will not be effective. Similarly, those who are demoniac or atheistic by nature can hardly assimilate any good instruction, however authorized it may be. That is the difference between demigods and demons. Those who can accept good instruction and try to live their lives in that way are called demigods. And those who are unable to take such good instruction are called demons. Failing in his attempt to pacify Kamsa, Vasudev wondered 
how he would protect his wife, Devaki. When there is imminent danger, an intelligent person should try to avoid the dangerous position as far as possible. But if, in spite of endeavoring by all intelligence, one fails to avoid the dangerous position, there is no fault on his part. One should try his best to execute his duties, but if the attempt fails, he is not at fault. Vasudev thought of his wife as follows. For the present, let me save the life of Devaki. Then later on, if there are children, I shall see how to save them. He further thought, if, the, in, the future, I, if in the future I get a child who can kill Kamsa, just as Kamsa is thinking, then both Devaki and the child will be saved because the law of providence is inconceivable. But now, some way or other, let me save the life of Devaki. There is no certainty how a living entity contacts a certain type of body, just as there is no certainty how a blazing fire comes in contact with a certain type of wood in the forest. When there is a forest fire, it is experienced that the blazing fire sometimes leaps over one tree and catches another by the influence of the wind. Similarly, a living entity may be very careful in the matter of executing his duties, but it is still very difficult for him to know what type of body he is going to get in the next life. Maharaj Bharat was very faithfully executing the duties of self-realization, but by chance he developed temporary affection for a deer, and in his next life he had to accept the body of a deer. Vasudev after deliberating on how to save his wife, began to speak to Kamsa with great respect, although Kamsa was the most sinful man. Sometimes it happens that a most virtuous person like Vasudev has to flatter a person like Kamsa, a most vicious person. That is the way of all diplomatic transa transactions. <clears throat> although Vasudev was deeply aggrieved he smiled outwardly. He addressed the shameless Kamsa in that way because he was so atrocious. Vasudev said to Kamsa, My dear brother-in-law, please consider that you have no danger from your sister. You are awaiting some danger because you have heard a prophetic voice in the sky. But the danger is to come from the sons of your sister who are not present now and who knows there may or may not be sons in the future. <clears throat> Considering all this, you are safe for the present. Nor is there cause of fear from your sister. If there are any sons born of her, I promise that I, will sh that I shall present all of them to you for necessary action. Kamsa knew the value of Vasudev's word of honor, and he was convinced by, the, by his argument. For the time being, he desisted from the heinous killing of his sister. <clears throat> Thus Vasudev was pleased and praised the decision of Kamsa. In this way, he returned to his home. Each year thereafter, in due course of time, Devaki gave birth to a child. Thus she gave birth to eight male children, as well as one daughter. When the when the first son was born, Vasudev kept his word of honor 
and immediately brought the child before Kamsa. It is said that Basudev was very much elevated and famous for his word of honor, and he wanted to maintain this fame. Although it was very painful for Basudev to hand over the newly born child, Kamsa was very glad to receive him. But he became a little compassionate with the behavior of Basudev. This event is very exemplary. For a great soul like Vasudev, there is nothing considered to be painful in the course of discharging one's duty. A learned person like Vasudev carries out his duties without hesitation. On the other hand, a demon like Kamsa never hesitates in committing any abominable action. It is said, therefore, that a saintly person can tolerate <coughs> It is said, said, therefore, that a saintly person can tolerate all kinds of miserable conditions of life. <clears throat> a learned man can discharge his duties without awaiting favorable circumstances. A heinous person like Kamsa can act in any sinful way. And a devotee can sacrifice everything to satisfy the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Kangsa became satisfied by the actions of Vasudev. He was surprised to see Vasudev keeping his promise and being compassionate, being compassionate upon him and pleased. He began to speak as follows. My dear Vasudev, you need not present this child to me. I am not in danger from this child. I have heard that the eighth child born of you and Devaki will kill me. Why should I accept this child unnecessarily? You can take him back. When Vasudev was returning home with his firstborn born child, although he was pleased by the behavior of Kamsa, he could not believe in him because he knew that Kamsa was <coughs> uncontrolled. An atheistic person cannot be firm in his word of honor. One, one who cannot control the senses cannot be steady in his determination. The great politician, Chandikya Pandit, said, never put your trust in a diplomat, a diplomat or a woman. Those who are addicted to unrestricted sense gratification can never be truthful, nor can they be trusted with any faith. At that time, the great sage Narada came to Kangsa. He was informed of Kansa's becoming compassionate to Vasudev and returning his firstborn child. Narada was very eager to accelerate the descent of Lord Krishna as soon as possible. He therefore informed Kansa that in Vrindavan personalities like Nanda Maharaj and all the other cowherd men and their wives, and on the other side, Vasudev, his father Shurasena, and all his relatives born in the family of Vrishni of the Yadu dynasty, along with all their friends and well-wishers, were actually demigods. Narada warned Kansa to be careful of them, since Kansa, since Kansa and his friends and advisors were all demons. Demons are always afraid of demigods. After being thus informed by Narada about the appearance of the demigods, in different families, Kansa at once became very much alarmed. He understood 
that since the demigods had already appeared, Lord Vishnu must be coming soon. He at once arrested both his brother-in-law, Vasudev, and Devaki, and put them behind prison bars. Within the prison, shackled in iron chains, Vasudev and Devaki gave birth to a male child year after year, and Kamsa, thinking each of the babies to be the incarnation of Vishnu, killed them one after another. He was particularly afraid of the eighth child, but after the visit of Narada, he came to the conclusion that any child might be Krishna. Therefore, it was better to kill all the babies who took birth from Devaki and Vasudev. This action of Kamsa is not very difficult to understand. In the history of the world, there are many instances of persons in the royal order who have killed their father, brother or whole family and friends for the satisfaction of their ambitions. There is nothing astonishing about this, for members of the demoniac, greedy royal order can kill anyone for their nefarious ambitions. <clears throat> Kamsa was made aware of his previous birth by the grace of Narada. He learned that in his previous birth he had been a demon of the name Kalanemi, and that he had been killed by Vishnu. Having now taken his birth in the Bhoja dynasty, having now taking his taken his birth in the Bhoja family, he decided to become the deadly enemy of the Yadur dynasty. Krishna was going to take birth in that family, and Kamsa was very much afraid that he would be killed by Kamsa. Excuse me. Krishna was going to take birth in that family, and Kamsa was very much afraid that he would be killed by Krishna, just as he had been killed in his last birth. His, he first of all imprisoned his father, Ugrasena, because he was the chief among, all, a chief among the Yadu, Boja, and Andhaka dynasties, and he also occupied the kingdom of Shurasena, Vasudev's father. He declared himself the king of all such places. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the first chapter of Krishna, the advent of Lord Krishna. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the first chapter of Krishna, the advent of Krishna, chapter 2, prayers by the demigods for Lord Krishna in the womb. King Kamsa not only occupied the kingdoms of the Yadu, Boja, and Andhaka dynasties and the kingdom of Shurasena, but he also made alliances with all the other demoniac kings as follows, the demon Pralamba, demon Baka, demon Chanura, demon Trinavarta, demon Agasura, demon Mushtaka, demon Arishta, demon Dvidvid, demon Putana, demon Keshi, and the demon Tenuka. At that time, Jarasandha was the king of the Magadha province, known at present as Bihar state. Thus, by his diplomatic policy, Kamsa consolidated the most powerful kingdom of his time under the protection of Jarasandha. He made further alliances with such kings as Banasura and Bomasura until he was the strongest. Then he began to behave most inimically toward the Yadu dynasty into which Krishna was to take his birth. Being harassed by Kamsa, the kings of the Yadu, Boja, and Andaka dynasties took shelter in different states, such as the state of the Kurus, the state of the Panchalas, and the states known as Kekai, Shalva, Vidarva, Nishada, Videha, and Koshala. Kamsa broke the solidarity of the Yadu kingdom 
as well as the Boja and Andapa. He made his position the most solid within the vast tract of land, known at that time as Bhardavarja. When Kamsa was killing the six babies of Devaki and Vasudev one after another, many friends and relatives of Kamsa approached him and requested him to discontinue these heinous activities. But all of them became worshippers of Kamsa. When Devaki became pregnant for the seventh time, a plenary expansion of Krishna known as Ananta appeared within her womb. Devaki was overwhelmed with both jubilation and lamentation. She was joyful, for she could understand that Lord Vishnu had taken shelter within her womb. But at the same time, she was sorry that as soon as her child would come out, Kamsa would kill him. At that time, the Supreme Personality of God at Krishna, being compassionate upon the Yadus, who were fearful due to the atrocities committed by Kamsa, ordered the appearance of Yogamaya, his internal potency. Krishna is the Lord of the universe, but he is especially the Lord of the Yadu dynasty. <clears throat> Yogamaya is the principal potency of the Personality of Godhead. In the Vedas, it is stated that the Lord, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, has multi-potencies. All of the different potencies are acting externally and internally, and Yogamaya is the chief of all potencies. The Lord ordered the appearance of Yogamaya in the land of Rajabhumi in Vrindavan, which is always decorated and full with beautiful cows. In Vrindavan, Rohini, one of the wives of Vasudeva was residing at the house of King Nanda and Queen Yashoda. Not only Rohini, but, other, but many others in the Yadu dynasty were scattered all over the country due to their fear of the atrocities of Kamsa. Some of them were even living in the caves of the mountains. The Lord thus informed Yogamaya. Under the imprisonment of Kamsa are Devaki and Vasudeva. And at the present moment, my plenary expansion, Shesha, is within the womb of Devaki. You can arrange the transfer of Shesha from the womb of Devaki to the womb of Rohini. After this arrangement, I am personally going to appear in the womb of Devaki with my full potencies. Then I shall appear as the son of Devaki and Vasudeva, and you shall appear as the daughter of King Nanda and Yashoda in Vrindavan. <clears throat> Since you will appear as my contemporary sister, and since you will quickly satisfy desires for sense gratification, people within the world will worship you with all kinds of valuable presentations, incense, candles, flowers, and offerings of sacrifice. People who are after materialistic, people who are after materialistic perfection will worship you under the different forms of your expansions which will be named Durga, Bhadrakali, Vijaya, Vaishnavi, Kamuda, Chandika, Krishna, Madhavi, Kanyaka, Maya, Narayani, Ishani, Sharada, and Ambika. Krishna and Yogamaya appeared as brother and sister, the supreme powerful and supreme power. Although there is no clear distinction between the powerful and the power. Power is also is always subordinate to the powerful. Those who are materialistic are worshippers of the power, but those who are transcendentalists are worshippers of the powerful. 
Krishna is the supreme powerful and Durga is the supreme power within the material world. Actually, people in the Vedic culture worship both the powerful and the power. There are many hundreds and thousands of temples of Vishnu and Devi and sometimes they are worshipped simultaneously. The worshipper of the power, Durga, or the external energy of Krishna, may achieve all kinds of material success very easily, but anyone who wants to be elevated transcendentally must engage in worshipping the powerful in Krishna consciousness. The Lord also declared to Yogamaya, My plenary expansion, Anantashesha, is within the womb of Devaki. On account of being forcibly attracted to the womb of Rohini, he will be known as Sankarshan and will be the source of all spiritual power, or Bala, by which one can attain the highest bliss of life, which is called Ramana. Therefore, the plenary portion, Ananta, will be known after his appearance either as Sankarshan or as Balarama. In the Upanishads, it is stated, Naya Atma Balahine Nabhya. The purport is that one cannot attain the supreme platform of self-realization without being sufficiently favored by Balarama. Bala does not mean physical strength. No one can attain spiritual perfection by physical strength. One must have the spiritual strength which is infused by Balarama or Sankarshan. Ananta or Sheshanaga is the source of the power which sustains all the planets in their different positions. Materially, this sustaining power is known as the law of gravitation, but actually it is a display of the potency of Sankarshan, Balarama or Sankarshan is the source of spiritual power or the original spiritual master. Therefore, Lord Nityananda Prabhu, who is also the incarnation of Balarama, is the original spiritual master. And the spiritual master is the representative of Balarama, the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who supplies spiritual strength. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is confirmed that the spiritual master is the manifestation of the mercy of Krishna. Thus ordered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Yogamaya circumambulated the Lord and then appeared within this material world according to his order. When Yogamaya, the supreme power of the supremely powerful Personality of Godhead, transferred Lord Shesha from the womb of Devaki to the womb of Rohini, both Devaki and Rohini were under Yogamaya's spell, which is called Yoga Nidra. When this is done, people thought that Devaki's seventh pregnancy had been a miscarriage. Thus, although Balaram appeared as the son of Devaki, he was transferred into the womb of Rohini to appear as her son. After this arrangement, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna, who was always ready to protect his unalloyed devotees, entered within the mind of Vasudev as the Lord of the whole creation, with full 
inconceivable potencies. It is understood in this connection that Lord Krishna first of all situated himself in the unalloyed heart of Vasudeva and was then transferred to the heart of Devaki. He was not put into the womb of Devaki by seminal discharge. The Supreme Personality of Godhead by his inconceivable potency can appear in any way. It is not necessary for him to appear in the ordinary way by seminal injection within the womb of a woman. When Vasudeva was sustaining the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead within his heart, he appeared just like the glowing sun, whose shining rays are always unbearable and scorching to the common man. The form of the Lord situated in the pure, unalloyed heart of Vasudeva is not different from the original form of Krishna. The appearance of the form of Krishna anywhere, and specifically within the heart, is called Dhamma. Dhamma refers not only to Krishna's form, but also to his name, his qualities, and his paraphernalia. Everything becomes manifest simultaneously. Thus, the eternal form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead with full potencies was transferred from the mind of Vasudeva to the mind of Devaki, exactly as the setting sun's rays are transferred to the full moon rising in the east. Do we have any um, points, questions online? Checking online first. Prabhu, go ahead. Only counts as if it's in the microphone. So you were reading there that uh, one of Krishna's or Durga's names is Krishna. 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 Can we explain that? Why Durga Mata is also named Krishna? Krishna. Krishna. It's the difference between Krishna and Krishna. Krishna and Krishna. Two different, they're different. Not the same. So if we're chanting Hare Krishna, are we chanting wrong? Well, yeah. And no. I mean, the fact is, we should try to pronounce the, the mantra properly. But as mentioned in the Shastra, if there's some, if there's some, well, mine's being directly in the feed here, so it's more important for the ambient sound out there, but it is helpful, I guess. The fact is that Shastra says that the Hare Krishna mantra is so potent that if somebody accidentally due to cultural reasons, can't pronounce it right. In fact, Prabhupada mentions this in a purport in the seventh canto. Then the, the potency is still there. Krishna still understands. Like in Japan, they say, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna. They really can't help it. Hare Lama, Hare Lama, Lama Lama, Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Yes. Ramo, you can kind of help. You don't have to say Ramo. And if you do, 
there's a devotee in Washington, D.C. that'll take you to task. <laughs> so he's made it his mission in life to stamp out Ramo. Any other points or questions? I have an anecdotal story to uh, illustrate this point. One time Krishna was, I mean, Srila Prabhupada was talking. I don't remember whether it was either a room conversation or a lecture, a morning walk, I don't remember. But the, the, the point of pronunciation the mantras came up. And Prabhupada said, well, sometimes you Westerners, when you're singing the, the morning pro program, you say Goro in such a way as you're actually calling me a cow. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, but I know that you mean Guru. <laughs> so I don't take any offense. And also Krishna, he knows everything. So he knows your intention. He knows, you know, if you mean to say the right thing, but you can't quite say it. So I, I agree with Vaishishikabu in the sense that yes and no. It's better to pronounce everything very nicely, but even if you can't, Krishna, if you're sincere, Krishna knows what you're trying to say, and he won't take any offense. When Kamsa uh, was trying to kill his sister, was there, didn't, uh, because uh, so there was also Kshatriya, so did he try to fight him back? He is trying to convince the Kamsa to not kill her, but he can take up his sword and think. You asked if he did. Well, you know, saying, why didn't he? Yeah, but he didn't say that. He said, did he? You said, why didn't he? Yeah, why didn't he? Yeah. Why oh, wait, didn't he? So I'm not going to speculate, but obviously it wasn't good timing to have a huge fight on the chariot with his sister. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, what happened if he lost? Did he lose everything? Kamsa was pretty powerful. And I think Kamsa very interesting with Kamsa. He, he enlisted all these real interesting characters. It's not mentioned everywhere that Kamsa has these huge armies. Although with Jarasandha there are like the huge armies that he amassed, that he brought to bear against Krishna and Balaram. But Kamsa is not mentioned as having huge armies, but he had these wizard-like people coming into Vrindavan all the time, trying to kill Krishna, sent by, I mean, a Putana, and Trinavarta, Shakata, Sura. And these are really kind of interesting, almost bizarre characters that he sent and he made friends with. Prabhu, you had a point. Uh, one class they were giving about this point, they were saying that Vasudev, when, when Kamsa grabbed 
his sister by the hair. He wanted to kill her. He said in the class they mentioned that Vasudev also took out. Give him the microphone. Okay. Because <laughs> you are probably English speaking Greek. So they said, he's saying that in the class they said that Vasudev also took out his sword and wanted to fight with Kamsa. So he said the speaker said that he restrained himself and then he started speaking. And then he started, and then Basude started speaking these philosophical points instead of fighting. Did he say where that, where that uh, was uh, mentioned in the Shastra? No, so he said, that is my question, is, you know, have you heard this before, is that mentioned in some Shastra? No, but since it's been asked twice, we'll look into it after the class. We'll, look at, we'll do some research after class and see if there's some that mentions that, that's possible. I don't want to say no, but... Other points? Hare Krishna. I can give us my other point after class. Okay. Actually, I can say that. Okay. So, um, Krishna grew up in the Yadu dynasty and that was here near Govardhan. How far away was the Boja dynasty? In South India? Not sure. We'll make a list for technical research that we can find out later. Well, what, one point is that the is not necessarily a geographical area. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it has to do with who's connected with the king, you know, Boja, Anzaka, such and such. And also, when, when Kangsa. <coughs> Jerusalem became in power. But take the mic. First point is that sometimes it's not necessarily a geographical area, you know, and also because because the the relatives of those personalities sometimes they go other places and then other places. But aside from that, um, <coughs> when Kansa came into power, especially after this point. Then the, the ones who were connected with the Yadu dynasty, the Boja and Dhaka and all these and all these they scattered and they hid in, in different places. They were afraid of Krishna. In Kamsa, afraid of Kamsa. Yeah. Like for instance, Rohini. Rohini. That's when Rohini went to to Vrindavan and stayed under the under the uh, under the care of, of uh, Nanda. Yeah. In the Bhogal it says in the, around the Malwa region. The Bhoja it says uh, this kingdom is centered around the Malwa region in central India. Oh. So somewhere in Madhya Pradesh. Yeah. Uh, Bhoja then. Yeah. That's close. Yeah. Yes. Right next. Might get a covered on shallow. 
That was a special uh, situation. Krishna also showed at one point the residents of Braja, the spiritual Braja in the spiritual world, to assure them that they would, what their destination would be. So Brahma, you know, he got that vision because he pleased Krishna very much. And if you remember right in the second canto of Bhagavatam, um, when, when, when Vishnu was speaking to Brahma, he said, but the penance that you performed uh, in, in pure devotion, or in devotion, rather, uh, is my heart. So by doing, you know, severe penance, according to the desire of Krishna, because that was his service to create the universe, uh, then he got that rewarded, got that benediction from from, from Krishna, from Vishnu. And he didn't just see Golokavindava. First he saw Vaikuntha, and then he saw Golokavindava. Because you, you need to come to Govardhan and get to do some austerities. See, then maybe you'll understand it. First word is, thus ordered. Thus the internal form. Where are we, please? <laughs> um, oh yeah, Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The last thing I said. Got it. Right. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, thus entered the body of Devaki from the body of Vasudev without being subject to any of the conditions of an ordinary living entity. Since Krishna was there, it is to be understood that all his plenary expansions such as Narayan and incarnations like Lord Nishingha and Varaha were with him, and they also were not subject to the conditions of material existence. In this way, Devaki became the residence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead who is one without a second and the cause of all creation. Devaki became the residence of the absolute truth. 
But because she was confined within the house of Kamsa, she looked just like a suppressed fire or like misused education. When fire is kept in a jug, the illuminating rays of the fire cannot be very much appreciated. Similarly, misused knowledge, which does not benefit the people in general, is not very much appreciated. So Devaki was kept within the prison walls of Kamsa's palace, and no one could see her transcendental beauty, which resulted from her conceiving the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Kamsa, however, saw the transcendental beauty of his sister Devaki, and he at once concluded that the Supreme Personality of Godhead had taken shelter in her womb. She had never before looked so wonderfully beautiful. He could distinctly understand that there was something wonderful within the womb of Devaki. In this way, Kamsa became perturbed because he was sure that the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who would kill him in the future, had now come. Kamsa thought, what is to be done with Devaki? Surely she has Vishnu or Krishna within her womb. So it is certain that Krishna has come to execute the mission of the demigods. And even if I immediately kill Devaki, his mission cannot be frustrated. Kamsa knew very well that no one can frustrate the purpose of Vishnu. Any intelligent man can understand that the laws of God cannot be violated. His purpose will be served in spite of all impediments offered by the demons. Kamsa thought, if I kill Devaki at the present moment, Vishnu will enforce his supreme will more vehemently. To kill Devaki just now would be a most abominable act. No one desires to kill his reputation, even in an awkward situation. If I kill Devaki now, my reputation will be spoiled. Devaki is a woman, and she is under my shelter. She is pregnant, and if I kill her, immediately my reputation, the results of my pious activities, and my duration of life will all be finished. He further deliberated, A person who is too cruel is as good as dead, even in this lifetime. No one likes a cruel person during his lifetime, and after his death, people curse him. On account of his self-identification with the body, he must be degraded and pushed into the darkest region of hell. Kansa thus meditated on all the pros and cons of killing Devaki at that time. Kamsa finally decided not to kill Devaki right away, but to wait for the inevitable future. But his mind became absorbed in animosity against the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He patiently waited for the delivery of the child, expecting to kill him, as he, has done, as he had done previously with the other babies of Devaki. Thus being merged in the ocean of animosity against the Personality of Godhead, he began to think of Krishna or Vishnu while sitting, while sleeping, while walking, while eating, while working in all the situations of his life. His mind became so absorbed with the thought of the Supreme Personality of Godhead that indirectly he could see only Krishna or Vishnu around him. Unfortunately, although his mind was so absorbed in the thought of Vishnu, he is not recognized as a devotee because he was thinking of Krishna as an enemy. The state of mind of a great devotee is also to be always absorbed in Krishna, but a devotee thinks of him favorably, not unfavorably. To think of Krishna favorably is Krishna consciousness, but to think of Krishna unfavorably is not Krishna conscious, consciousness. At this time, Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, accompanied by great sages like Narada, 
and followed by many other demigods, invisibly appeared in the house of Kamsa. They began to pray to the Supreme Personality of God in select verses, which are very pleasing to the devotees, and which award fulfillment of their desires. And which award fulfillment of their desires. That's very interesting how the prayers uh, award fulfillment of the desires of those who hear them. The first words they spoke acclaimed that the Lord is true to his vow. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna descends to this material world just to protect the pious and destroy the impious. That is his vow. The demigods could understand that the Lord had taken his residence within the womb of Devaki to fulfill his vow, and they were very glad that the Lord was appearing in order to fulfill his mission. Then the demigods addressed the Lord as Satyam Param, or the Supreme Absolute Truth. Everyone is searching after the truth. That is the way, that is the philosophical way of life. The demigods give information that the Supreme Absolute Truth is Krishna. One who becomes fully Krishna conscious can attain the Absolute Truth. Krishna is the Absolute Truth because, unlike relative truth, he is truth in all the three phases of eternal time. Time is divided into past, present, and future. Krishna is truth always, past, present, and future. In the material world, everything is being controlled by supreme time. In the course of past, present, and future. But before the creation, Krishna was existing. And when there is creation, everything is resting in Krishna. And when this creation is finished, Krishna will remain. Therefore, he is the absolute truth in all circumstances. If there is any truth within this material world, it emanates from the Supreme Truth, Krishna. If there is any opulence within this material world, the cause of the opulence is? Krishna. If there is any reputation within this material world, the cause of the reputation is? Krishna. If there is any strength within this material world, the cause of such strength is? Krishna. If there is any wisdom and education within this material world, the cause of such wisdom and education is? Krishna. Therefore, Krishna is the source of all relative truths. This material world is composed of five principal elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And all such elements are emanations from Krishna. The material scientists accept these five primary elements as the cause of the material manifestation. But the elements in their gross and subtle states are produced by Krishna. The living entities who are working within this material world are products of his marginal energy. In the seventh, in the, in the seventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, it is clearly stated that the whole, con the whole manifestation is a combination of two kinds of energies of Krishna, the superior energy and the inferior energy. The living entities are the superior energy, and the dead material elements are his inferior energy. In its dormant stage, everything remains in Krishna. The demigods continue to offer their respectful prayers under the supreme form of the personality of Godhead, Krishna by analytical study of the material manifestation. What is this material manifestation? 
it is just like a tree. A tree stands on the ground. Similarly, the tree of the material manifestation is standing on the ground of material nature. This material manifestation is compared to a tree because a tree is ultimately cut off in due course of time. A tree is called Vriksha. Vriksha means that thing which will be ultimately cut off. Therefore, this tree of the material manifestation cannot be accepted as the ultimate truth because it is influenced by time. But Krishna's body is eternal. He existed before the material manifestation. He is existing while the material manifestation is continuing and when it will be dissolved, he will continue to exist. Therefore, only Krishna can be accepted as the absolute truth. The Katapupanishad also states this example of the tree of the material manifestation standing on the ground of material nature. This tree has two kinds of fruits, distress and happiness. Those who are living in the tree of the body are just like two birds. One bird is the localized aspect of Krishna, known as the Paramatma, and the other bird is the living entity. The living entity is eating the fruits of this material manifestation. Sometimes he eats the fruit <coughs> of happiness, and sometimes he eats the fruit of distress. But the other bird is not interested in eating the fruit of distress or happiness because he is self-satisfied. The Upanishad states that one bird on the tree of the body is eating the fruits and the other bird is simply witnessing. The roots of this tree extend in three directions. This means that the root of the tree is the three modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance. Just as the tree's root expands, so by association of the modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance, one expands his duration of material existence. The tastes of the fruits are of four kinds, religiosity, economic development, sense gratification, and ultimately, liberation. According to the different associations in the three modes of material nature, the living entities are tasting different kinds of religiosity, different kinds of economic development, different kinds of sense gratification, and different kinds of liberation. Practically, all material work is performed in ignorance. But because there are three qualities, sometimes the quality of ignorance is covered with goodness or passion. The taste of these material fruits is accepted through five senses. The five sense organs through which knowledge is acquired is subjected to six kinds of whips. Lamentation, illusion, infirmity, death, hunger, and thirst. This material body or the material manifestation is covered by seven layers. Muscle, blood, marrow, bone, fat, and semen. The, the branches of the tree are eight. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, 
mind, intelligence, and ego. There are nine gates in this body, the two eyes, two nostrils, two ears, one mouth, one genital organ, one rectum. And there are ten kinds of internal air passing within the body, prana, apana, urana, dhyana, samana, etc. The two birds seated in this tree, as explained above, are the living entity and the localized Supreme Personality of Godhead, Paramatma. The root cause of the material manifestation described here is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Supreme Personality of Godhead expands himself to take charge of the three qualities of the material world. Vishnu takes charge of the mode of goodness. Brahma takes charge of the mode of passion. And Lord Shiva takes charge of the mode of ignorance. Brahma, by the mode of passion, creates this manifestation. Lord Vishnu maintains this manifestation by the mode of goodness. And Lord Shiva annihilates it by the mode of ignorance. The whole creation ultimately rests in the Supreme Lord. He is the cause of creation, maintenance, and dissolution. And when the whole manifestation is dissolved, in its subtle form as his energy, it rests within his body. At present, the demigods prayed, the Supreme Lord Krishna is appearing just for the maintenance of this manifestation. Actually, the Supreme Cause is one by less intelligent persons. Be, should it say but? Actually, the Supreme Cause is one, but by less intelligent persons. No, actually the Supreme Cause is one by less intelligent should say but. Is it like that in the book? Yeah, it says but. It says but? But? Now, when we find a mistake like that, we have to correct it. And I'm responsible for keying in the corrections and reporting them to the visitor. So we have to make it, there was one before. Did, did you write that first one down? Yeah, then I erased it. I thought you got it. In, in. in any, anyway, you can do a search and f look for in, in. I can get it. Yeah, I can get it. You have to write down each one of You have to sign somebody because somebody process isn't here anymore. Oh my God, what are we going to do? So, send an airplane. Teleport it. It's right in the book that it should be but or it shouldn't have but. No, it shouldn't be but. This is, this is, see, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Make it snappy. When, when the, when the uh, manuscript is transferred over from the, uh, well, it's either one kind of software to another. When it's transferred over from the, from the software that it was originally composed on and edited by, and then over to the to the database, which is another kind of software, sometimes this kind of thing happens in the transfer. It's very mm -hmm. difficult to get it perfect. Very difficult. That's why we have editors. <coughs> That's why they have the books have to be continue to be edited. At present. The demigods prayed, the Supreme Lord Krishna is appearing just for the maintenance of this manifestation. Actually, the Supreme Cause is one, but less intelligent persons being deluded by the three modes of material nature 
see that the material world is manifested through different causes. Those who are intelligent can see that the cause is one, Krishna. As it is stated in the Brahma Samhita, Ishvara Parama Krishna Sarvakarana Karanam Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is the cause of all causes. Brahma, I'm not sure about, I'm not sure about what, what we just said. Brahma is the deputed agent for creation. Vishnu is the expansion of Krishna for maintenance. And Lord Shiva is the expansion of Krishna for dissolution. That ends tonight's reading of the Krishna book. We thank everybody for joining us here in uh, Govardhan Hill. And those who, and also those who have joined us from various places around the world via the internet. Gor Premanande. Natchariyar Marman. Natchariyar Marman. Natchariyar Marman. Natchariyar Marman. Hey, Natchariyar Marman. Natchariyar Marman. Natchariyar Marman. Natchariyar Marman.